I hope you've paid attention to today's bulletin, all of the connections that go through the bulletin that relate to our topic today, the theology of Park Road Baptist Church. And I want to thank you for the way you sang our opening hymn. It's a hymn we've never sung before. Several of you were telling me that by your eyes. Um, but on this day, the, the words were too appropriate. I hope you heard that chorus which we reflected in our opening litany. Um, I am confident that the Lord hath yet more truth and light to break forth from God's holy word. It's an ongoing revelation of our understanding of God's truth. And so we sang that. And on this day when we're thinking of our theology and loving God with our minds, I dared not think you were not smart enough to sing a new hymn. So thank you for being smart enough to sing a new hymn with us today. As we continue this summer series thinking about who we are, what we're about, we think today about our theology. I spent the last two weeks summarizing for you Baptist life, Baptist beliefs, and the specific history of Park Road Baptist Church. If you missed it, let me characterize those two topics in two words, freedom and dissent. Dissent is the willingness to challenge the common wisdom of the day, to seek truth no matter where it leads, the courage to transgress the limitations of the prevailing orthodoxy in search of the transcendent God. Dissent has been in the Baptist DNA since the very beginning. We saw it in John Smith and Thomas Helwes, the very first Baptist in 1609. We saw it in Roger Williams, the first Baptist in this country in 1638. We saw it in the intrepid gathering of 84 organizing members of the Park Road Baptist Church, who even before calling their first pastor in 1951, transcended the cultural taboo alienating divorced persons from participation and leadership in the church and made it clear that in their church, all would be welcomed. Dissent. It is a Baptist non-negotiable. And I don't know if dissent is the cause or the effect of freedom. I do know they go together. Does the courage to dissent come from some innate understanding of what it means to truly be free? Or is freedom earned by mustering the courage not to be bound by the vision and strictures of prevailing status quo? I'm not sure which way it goes, but I think both of those words can be used of a Baptist church founded in the heart of the conservative South who broke from all those restraints and constraints of being conservative in the South and became the church we are today. If you ask people who Park Road Baptist Church is, you will invariably hear a handful of the same related words, open, inclusive, welcoming, non-conforming, active, independent. The homepage of our website says it concisely, Park Road emphasizes independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. That's who we are. It's what we do. It's how we are known in the community. That's our theology. Now, I use that word a good bit, theology. I love theology. I spent a good bit of time, my free time in the last couple of weeks, reading process theology and a kindred idea called open and relational theism 
You'll be hearing more about this in the coming weeks, in the coming months. I'm finishing another book, and it's related to the ideas of process theology and open theism. But I don't read theology or preach it to you because I'm an intellectual and academic. I am not. I'm interested in theology, and I talk to you about theology because I believe it is a practical concern, a very pragmatic discipline. What we think matters. How we talk about God has practical, where the rubber meets the road, impact on the world. In his book, The God We Never Knew, Marcus Borg says, it's printed on your bulletin cover, how we think about God matters. It affects the credibility of religion in general and of Christianity in particular. Our concept of God can make God seem real or unreal, just as it can also make God seem remote or near. My good friend, the late Dr. Ken Godwin, I loved Ken, but he was an opinionated cuss. I learned a great deal from Ken. I disagreed with him a good bit, though I never won a single argument with him. As the lifelong academic that I am not, Ken always cited his sources. He read widely and he quoted prolifically and he could cite five social science studies to defend any opinion he ever offered as absolute truth. One thing Ken believed that I really did not know how to challenge was his belief that thinking doesn't change behavior. It's the other way around. Behavior changes thinking. His example was unassailable. Southerners, he would be quick to tell you, did not change their thinking, did not change their attitudes about race because preachers like Rust helped people rethink their racism, their prejudice. It was only when the government enforced integration, only when school children started having to sit at desks next to one another, only when people had to go to the water cooler in the office together, only when white people were forced to live together with black folk, did they finally learn how faulty their thinking was. Now, I understand Ken's point, and he is undoubtedly right. It was part of his sometimes confusing libertarianism, the power and utility of government intervention in a world that needs small government. Go figure. But I maintain with Ken that I could also be right, and I think I am. Thinking changes behavior. If you do not believe me, you are not aware of the power of social media, the power of words written on a screen, words that convey ideas, ideas that form ideologies, ideologies that radicalize people enough that they will march in the streets and burn down buildings and storm the Capitol and maim and kill The power of social media is that by the power of words and ideas, people sitting at home all by themselves, disconnected from one another, can be motivated to assemble and act, whether to demand justice or to dismantle democracy. Words have power. The word theology is simple. Theos means God. Logos means word or logic. The words, the logic we use about God are powerful and important. They can change lives, shape the world. 
If God is ultimately all-powerful, you will shape your world differently than if you conceive of God based on the life of Jesus as a God of non-controlling love. It's the words of open theism, non-controlling love. Because the pastors of this church have always understood the power of ideas to affect action, the pulpit at Park Road has, for many years, been dedicated to a serious inquiry of theology. Believing that ideas can and do change the way we act and live and love, while maintaining that our most important theology is finally not just what we think, but how that thinking shapes how we behave. Taking theology seriously also means a strong dose of humility is needed. After all, these are words about God and who understands God. We speak of God as we, your pastors, understand God. We speak of God as Christian preachers, understanding God based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus we speak of God based on our best understanding of Scripture, an intellectual enterprise that we believe will always be interpreted, filtered through the light of our own lived experience. All of this means at least two things about this pulpit. First, this is and always has been an open pulpit. You have given us that right and that freedom in fact, it was a specific instruction of the committee who called us to be your pastors. I bet Amy and I heard that word a dozen times in the interview weekend. We have an open pulpit. Nobody tells our pastors what they can and cannot say. They challenge us to speak our minds freely, to challenge you, and I quote, intellectually and socially and spiritually. That was our charge. You do not have to agree with us. It is not our understanding that our role is to demand conformity. It's not even our understanding that we are supposed to speak for the church. We speak our word from this pulpit and hope that you will engage with that. Some of our greatest supporters of the open pulpit in this church have also been some of our greatest critics over the years. They disagree and we talk. As the scripture says, come let us reason together. Now reasoning doesn't mean that we will always agree. It means that we are going to dialogue together in the spirit of Christian unity with the belief that we will learn from each other. But you have always maintained that this is an open pulpit. I hope it will continue even in this very divisive day. It's a very Baptist model. The second thing that humility will demand of us is believing that our theology is always a work in progress. We've sung this this morning. We've spoken this this morning. The, founder of the, the founding pastor of this church loved to say, truth is a becoming, not a having. His conviction was fully scriptural. As Jesus said to his disciples, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. It's not something we already have. Truth is not our possession. It is an ever-unfolding process. Now, to be sure, some of the convictions this church holds are in conflict with the conventional wisdoms of many other Christians, many other Baptists. Our unflinching support of the role of women in all roles of leadership and our non-negotiable welcome of all people. 
Our belief in a social gospel, not just a personal evangelical revivalism to save souls. Our vision of interfaith cooperation and understanding. These convictions set us apart from the loud voice of the Southern Baptist Convention and other Christians in the world, but the future is always forward. It always has been. Human history is a story of the progressive movement of ideas, not a fearful conservatism of clinging to the way it has always been. As George Bernard Shaw, the theologian, once noted, every great truth began as a blasphemy. The sun is the center of the universe? That's blasphemy. Slaves worthy of their freedom? Blasphemy. Women strong enough to vote, to lead, to preach? Blasphemy. Gay people as the image of God of infinite worth inherently? Blasphemy. It was all blasphemy until the Spirit led the church into a new way of understanding. And on all the issues facing us today, I believe we are on the correct side of history. That time will be proof. But let us be deeply and humbly committed to a theology that listens for the voice of God and to a commitment that will follow that voice wherever it leads us into the future. The open pulpit, truth as a becoming, not a having. This has been our theology. May it always be so. A couple of things before I read today's proverb. First of all, I do not anticipate getting as lively as I got last week. But you never know. You never know. Um, it has actually been an interesting week. Uh, Becca took just the sermon and put it out there, and it has had a lot of shares and a lot of uh, activity. So um, if you want people to know who we are, Go on social media, take 13 minutes, and just share that out there for people to hear a little bit about who we are and who we are not. Now, I am drawn to a lot of, um, are you drawn to words sometimes? When I look at something, I just read words, and I think, I'm so drawn to these words. It's just interesting that this week we received from the Alliance of Baptists. That is our denominational home the Alliance of Baptists, who we affiliate most closely with. And on the front of this pamphlet, they're at the back if you didn't get one, just to tell you a little bit about who the Alliance of Baptists are, I love these words. Theological home, we're talking about theology today, partners in mission and pursuit of God's justice. We're going to talk some about justice today. And they use words in, in the center page about how we partner we partner with the words mutuality, affirmation, solidarity, respect. I'm drawn to all of those words. So if you want to know who we are as Baptists, as Park Road Baptists, this is a good insight into it. Pursuit of God's justice. Today's proverb tells us this. My child... If you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, 
then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Prudence will watch over you and understanding guard your way. I love every good path. You have heard the ancient story. You've heard it multiple times already this morning, and you're going to hear it several more. What we believe about God really matters. Let me hasten to say that pulling one proverb and defining God by this one nugget of wisdom is dangerous territory. If we tried to define God in one-liners, well, then we could better understand why there are so many people that think women should be silent in the church. It says it right there in black and white that one time. In all of Scripture, that one time, it says it. Does that make it always so? So it's dangerous to define God with any one statement. But I do like this one from the Proverbs today. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Instead of one-liners, it may be more helpful for us to look at the whole of the biblical story, not a history book, not a science book, but a piece of literature that tells the story of God in relation to the story of people. It tells the sweeping narrative of the people of God and how God loves them and takes care of them and is there for them in the highs and lows of a non-scientific world where everything was attributed to God, good and bad. With that in mind, and also recognizing that we see what we choose to see, I want to encourage you to choose to see the good. Choose to see grace. Choose to see hope. Choose to find love. Choose righteousness and justice and equity. Choose every good path. One of my jobs when we lived in Birmingham, Alabama, was basically as a social worker, though that was not my trained profession. I was involved in a program that helped women move from dependency to self-sufficiency. And as I was charged to launch this new project in the pilot phase of its existence, I gathered a board of directors from area churches. One church gave me an attorney. Every board needs a good attorney. And I'm not saying that all attorneys are like this one. I'm just saying this one attorney was. She prided herself with the gift of being able to find every possibility of what could go wrong. She started every single day of her life looking for the negative. She exhausted me. She made so many good points 
She probably saved us tons in lawsuits, but she wore me out. Do you know people like this? We walk through this life choosing how we see this life, looking for every possible thing that can go wrong or looking for every single good path. And so it is with our theology. My point is we get to choose which of the verses to believe about God. I'll be honest with you. If you go verse by verse, you will find contradictory evidence about the nature of God. I want to encourage you that if you're going to study God, that is what theology is, the study of the nature of God, if you choose to take on this assignment, then look for the good and look for the positive. And look for hope and peace and joy and love. Let that be the defining measure of your theology. What we believe about God really matters. It matters in ways that really have an impact on our world. And I believe what we believe about God influences how we go about living in this world. What we believe about God shapes how we act how we think, how we talk, how we post. For example, if you believe God is primarily into judgment, you are more likely to be judgmental. If you believe God is manipulating events in the world, you are more likely to become manipulative yourself. If you believe God is bent toward punishment, you will look for every way to seek revenge. If you cling to the verses of God as wrathful and angry, and you can find them if you look, but if you cling to those and define God and study God as wrathful and anger, you will live your life in a state of madness. And you do that long enough, and it will turn into rage. If you think of God as a dominant and powerful man, you will be more likely to keep women submissive and silent. If you believe God is focused on the poor, you are more likely to turn your attention to issues that, face, that are faced by those in poverty. If you believe that God is basically forgiving, then you will be more lenient with mercy and grace. If you believe that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, then you will be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love because you will be studying a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And when you study something long enough, it becomes a part of you. The way one acts and the way one talks and the way one goes about living in this world tells me a lot about the way one believes about God. And most folks don't think much about this, 
They don't connect the dots, but they should. We get to choose what we believe about God. It's not just about believing if there is a God. It's about choosing what we will believe about God and what we believe about the nature of God really matters. Our youth got to meet our new associate pastor for children, youth, and families this past week in Birmingham, Alabama on our mission trip. We all cannot wait for you all to meet J.D. He's a natural. He was at ease with them from the very first moment. I said to J.D., I'm happy to run with everything and you just be here and get to know folks. I'm also happy to hand it to you and let you run with everything. He said, I'm happy to take it. And there was great rejoicing on earth and in heaven. <laughs> so that first night, we gathered in a somewhat darkened conference room because we could not figure out how to cut on all the lights. And he asked them the question, what is justice? We offered some ideas, and then we went through the rest of our week, serving food to the hungry, weeding a community garden that provided fresh produce for the East Lake Initiative Thrive Ministry. We washed down tables and chairs and painted the dining room and lobby of an agency that was trying to make their headquarters more aesthetically pleasing and welcoming. We led a chapel service for men in recovery. And we unloaded an entire big truckload full of canned goods. They said we couldn't do it. We totally did it. We watched the movie Selma. And then we went to Selma, Alabama, and walked over the Edmund Pettus Bridge in solidarity with all people who have known discrimination. And on the last night, we gathered in the same darkened room where we had started our week, and J.D. asked the question again, what is justice? Justice is equality, they said. Justice is dignity, they said. Justice is fairness, they said. Justice is treating people the way we want to be treated. But then somebody turned that around a bit, and I know it's not the golden rule, but I think it's true. Somebody turned it around and said, justice is treating people the way they want to be treated. Deep in our bones, we know what people want and what people need. They want equality and fairness and dignity. They want to be heard, seen, loved. When I read the whole of the Bible, what I choose to see is a God of equality, a God that offers dignity, a God that believes in fairness, and a God of so much love. So I don't just believe in God. I believe that the very nature of God is love and all that comes with love. So children of God, if you accept these words and treasure these commandments within you, 
Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. And you will find every good path. May it be so. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious God, we pray this day for justice in Birmingham, Alabama. We pray for those who work with the East Lake Initiative. We pray for those who run very organized and very well-equipped food pantries. And we pray for those who run the disorganized, haphazard food services. Because all they're trying to do is feed people that are hungry. We pray for the Jimmy Hale mission, housing men in recovery as they work through mental illness and substance abuse. We pray for generous hearts to give lavishly to organizations that are trying to do your work to bring about justice, fairness, equality, dignity. So let us not just pray for Birmingham, Alabama and the dying town of Selma, but let us pray for Charlotte and the surrounding communities as far reaching as the whole wide world that all of your people would understand what it means to live as your children, that everyone would have what they need, that people would be generous with what we have. We pray this day, O oh God, that we would understand that your nature is bent toward justice, equality, dignity, fairness, and love. Let us love those words so much that we reject anything that opposes justice, equality, dignity, fairness, and love. Make us outspoken. Make us activists that we might bring about your kingdom right here on earth. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.